right. Um, so as Charlie mentioned, we're starting this new series uh, in Advent here. Maybe. And then would you click on the right one for me, please? There we go. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so the Dawn of Redeeming Grace. Uh, the title of the message is the title of the book. And... Um, it's, it's, it's been good to kind of start diving into the first couple of chapters of Matthew, and that's basically what this uh, devotional is doing. And we're going to focus in on, really, um, the first six verses of Matthew, chapter 1, in the genealogy. Um, I've been going through... Uh, now, by the way, this is, this is like the thing that most people skip over, right? And you're like... You know, fast forward past the genealogy, get to the good stuff, right? Um, I found myself tempted to do that when I, in my personal devotions, I've also been in First Chronicles. And First Chronicles, man, I mean, the first like six or seven chapters, it's nothing but the names, you know, and, uh, and they had so many warriors in their clan, and then you go, you know, it was, um, and so I was going through this, uh, oh, well, well, I'll just tell you, I, my quiet times, I've been following the plan that the McLean Bible Church is using, which is, uh, I don't know if you know who David Platt is, Baptist pastor of a church in McLean, Virginia, I'm guessing. Um, but anyway, uh, nothing special about the plan they're using. Actually, it's someone else's plan. I know that for a fact. But, um, but David Platt has a, has a podcast that goes out every day called Pray the Word. Has anybody ever Listen to that. Pray the word. So what he'll do is he'll he'll take one of the readings. It's usually the Old Testament reading. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament reading on the plan they're doing, like one chapter of each. And he will pick one verse or two, make a quick comment about it, and then pray over it. Kind of like personal application. I'm like, I'm just digging that. Like that is really feeding my soul. And so when I got to the Chronicles, I'm like, I wonder what he's going to do with this. Yeah, he's going to punt, isn't he? Nope, didn't punt. He stayed in there, and he, and he would, you know, pick up on somebody and some unique thing that God did in their life, you know. And that's the thing about these genealogies, you know. You, we, we kind of take these for granted, but they are there for a purpose. You know, sometimes, um, you know, in the case of the Old Testament, a lot of times it was so that you would not only know the lineage that was going on, but also you know, who did land belong to, things like that, right? The family plot and so on. Um, and uh, so it's just, it's just kind of interesting to think about how maybe we could get a fresh look today, uh, see this with some fresh eyes, okay? Let's ask for the Lord's help as we get into the Word this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that we can get together and thank you that every word in your scripture is inspired by you. It's uh, breathed out by God. And so we know there is a benefit, there is a purpose in every word in scripture. And that includes the genealogies. And so Lord, we pray God that you would help us to um, be attentive to your word this morning in your spirit what you want to speak to our hearts this morning in the brief time we have together. And God, we just confess to you, Lord, if, if our hearts are kind of uh, distracted right now, we want, to, we want to be focused on you, God. Help us. 
um, we help us, Lord. Thank you that um, that we those that have put their faith in Christ, Lord, we're forgiven if we've if we've messed up this week, we've we've blown it with you or whatever, um, or or with other people, we've not treated them well. God, we confess it to you, and we thank you for the forgiveness that comes to Christ. And Father, we also want to lift up our family and friends that are hurting right now, that are in need of your healing touch, God. Some uh, struggling with COVID, others looking at surgeries or recovering from surgeries or just struggling physically in, in all kinds of ways. Lord, please hear their cries, Lord, and our cries on their behalf, God. Heal their bodies. Um, help them, Lord. Give them strength. And we also pray for those that are really having a hard time this time of year because of missing people that are not present with them anymore. Uh, maybe they've gone to be with you. Um, but Lord, just um, help them with their grief. And uh, Lord, may your great comforter surround them with his arms, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, fill me. Fill me up with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've got, uh, this is called Four Stories of God's Grace. Uh, I promise it's not four messages in one, okay? Uh, that would be a long time. But uh, I am going to, so there's four women's uh, names that are mentioned in this genealogy we're going to read. And this is unique because uh, <clears throat> most of the time the genealogies just listed the men's names, right? So-and-so, a father beget another, you know, had a son, and this was his name, and on and on and on, right? Um, and that's just the way it was, okay, uh, culturally. And so when you, we read this passage here, and like Sinclair Ferguson mentions in his devotionals, like, you have to wonder why, you know, why? And so have some thoughts on why, um, but let's read the passage here. I'll read it for you. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This is God's word. Um, isn't it interesting, right, when you think about these names? And there are four women's names mentioned here. Now, I know that um, Mary's coming later here, okay? We haven't forgotten her, uh, but in, in the, uh, so we'll, we'll talk about the parents really next week. But uh, here we have four women mentioned here that we're going to take a look, quick look at. Tamar, verse 3, Rahab, verse 5, Ruth, verse 5, and the wife of Uriah. It's like, couldn't even get a name here, you know. But does anybody know who that is? Bathsheba, right? That's Bathsheba. Okay, very good. Okay, so. I'm going to give you a, just a very quick, like, skimming over the, the pond type of thing here. 
uh, on each of these ladies, all right, um, before we kind of talk about some application. Because I thought, well, we just don't want to assume that everybody kind of knows the lowdown on, on these women, all right? Um, and so <clears throat> Tamar is mentioned in Genesis chapter 38. So if you want to read the full story, you need to read that chapter um, and on. But uh, just a quick summary here. Tamar was married, uh, married one of Judah's sons named Ur was his name. And the scriptures say that he was so evil that God just took his life. That's a sad summary, but that's the truth. It says he was so evil, God just took his life. Well, in the culture at that time, when your husband died, then uh, it was typically up to one of the brothers uh, to, you know, take you as a wife to continue their brother's line, right? Uh, And so this is what happened here. Um, And so Ur's brother Onan then married Tamar, but purposely would not help her have children. I mean, that's just cruel, okay? Just downright cruel. He's like, you know, and, and I know that, you know, some... Um, some people today might think, well, well, that's not such a big deal. Well, it was then, okay? You've got to put yourself in the culture, okay? Um, and so, so she wasn't uh, having any children because her current husband who was not uh, going to be helpful in that. Well, then God says, you know, um, Onan, you're so evil, I'm taking you out too. You know, this family does not have a good history here, okay? Uh, two of the sons, there's a third one. There is a third son, and, uh, of course, it's his responsibility uh, at some point to take um, Tamar as his wife. And, of course, Tamar brings this up to her father-in-law, Judah. And Judah says, yeah, when he, when he grows up a little bit, well, then he, you can have him. But he had no intentions of fulfilling that promise. I don't know if he felt like this is already a bad track record or what, but he's just like, in the text, you definitely get the feeling he has no intentions to fulfill that promise. So so think about this. This poor woman um, married these two guys, both ended up being evil in God's sight, and um, you know, it's just terrible. She's been really in 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 in, in in a way, really abused. I mean, she's, she was mistreated, right, at the very least. Um, and now there's a, there, her father-in-law, who's supposed to be kind of looking out for her, has no intentions of fulfilling this promise. So time goes on. The promise isn't coming. He's not giving his third son to her in marriage. So what happens is, one day, um, Tamar... Uh, tricks her father-in-law into thinking that she's a prostitute. She puts a veil over her face. She knew that they would be coming down. They were retreating from something. And and so uh, she must have known that they were going to hit on her, basically. And so uh, she slept with her father-in-law and became pregnant. And then what happened was word got out to Judah, who's the guy who slept with her, father-in-law is Judah, that Tamar is with child. Of course, he says, well, she's not married. 
let's take her out and burn her. Gee, isn't that nice, right? Okay, you know, he's sleeping with prostitutes, right? Um, and so what happens is when it comes down to it and, he, and uh, Judah confronts Tamar, she says, well, uh, she had proof of who she was with that night. Okay, I, I don't give you all the details, but she has proof of who she was with that night. And it was Jacob's stuff. Okay, or Judah's stuff, I'm sorry, Judah's stuff. And so his response was, you are more righteous than I am. And she nailed that one. Okay. Uh, and so can you just see the continual mistreatment of this poor woman? Yeah, you know, God doesn't go, doesn't approve of, you know, someone pretending to be a prostitute nor sleeping with prostitutes. But the thing is, is that she's trying to survive, you know, and she took things into her own hands. Um, and, and this is, this is Tamar's story. It's, the story of Judah and Tamar is not pleasant. It's broken promises. It's deception, immorality, incest. Um, but through it all, we see the grace of God because she's helping actually continue the line of David and through to Jesus, okay? So it, it's just, you know, this is not, okay, let's just be honest. You know, some people you know, claim that, you know, pe- people cleaned up the Bible to make it look better. But this is not cleaning it up, okay? This is like real stuff. This is real life sin happening, people sinning against people. And, you know, it's this real life, okay? Um, and I just think that's, that's, in one sense, part of the proof that, you know, no, it's not being cleaned up. No, this is, this is how the people were. Yet God shows his grace, even in this situation. So this is Tamar, Genesis 38. Then we have Rahab, Joshua chapters 2 through 6. Um, so Rahab the prostitute, uh, she was a Canaanite. Uh, she lived in the Canaanite city of Jericho. All right, so if you remember the Battle of Jericho, uh, what do the people of God do first before they go fight this battle? Send out some spies, right? You got some reconnaissance to do, right? You got you send out some spies to Jericho, and so uh, the spies uh, ended up uh, in Rahab's place, okay? And uh, she made a deal with them, right? Because she and, and it's interesting because the words that she used. We're like, she's heard about the God of Israel, and she's like, our people are afraid of your people because they've heard of what your God can do. And so she even, it seemed like in her words, she even had a fear of the Lord, right? And so as she takes these spies in, she takes them in, and and then they promise to protect her and her family when they're going to attack. And they're good, they're, they, they kept good on that promise, okay? And actually... Um, she, when you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, she's lifted up as a woman of faith. She trusted God that she actually, her and her family, would be saved from the attack when Jericho fell. Okay? So her faith and trust in God uh, are, are elevated in the Scriptures. So that's just a quick rundown on Rahab. Now, Ruth, a lot of people know about Ruth. Uh, you know, there's an entire book right, in the scriptures dedicated to her story. Um, so Ruth was a Moabite woman. Um, and by the way, you'll notice now uh, when, when we get through the list that two out of the four of these women were outsiders. They weren't, they weren't Israelites. 
Okay, they're totally outside of God's people, right? And this is one of them. Ruth was a Moabite woman, um, but she was genetically linked to Israel through Lot, the nephew of Abraham. She had married the son of an Israelite family. So kind of an uncommon thing, right, to intermarry like that, right? You usually want to marry a believer, okay, right? In fact, that's what God would tell him. Don't intermarry with people that have other gods, right? So, so apparently uh, Naomi, which would be uh, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, one of her sons, you know, married a foreign person, somebody who was not part of the family of God, you know, considered part of the family of God. So, um, but she, so, so uh, Ruth married the son of an Israelite family while they were living in Moab, okay? Um, but at some point, um, her father-in-law, her husband, and her husband's only brother died. These guys all died. And it's just her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, left, right? And, of course, as the story goes, Naomi's like, you know, you go back to your people, and, you know, you got a full life ahead of you. Go marry one of your guys and, you know, have kids and just live your life, you know? But... Um, it's it's interesting though she had this loyalty to her mother-in-law that is really um unprecedented right and and as as it, as it is said in the scriptures like she says where you go I'll go right right and it's just she wanted to stick with her mother-in-law which for her meant living everything leaving everything she knew right cuz they were living in Moab her town right so even though she married an Israelite they're living in Canaanite country, right? And so, or a Moabite country. And so, they're, you know, she's leaving all of that and committing to go and, and, and live in a foreign place. And listen to what she says here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. It says, but Ruth said, uh, do not urge me to leave you. She's speaking to her mother-in-law. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. I mean, that is a, that's a commitment, you know. She's like, the only way you're going to get rid of me is I'm going to die. You know, I mean, this is, uh, so she just loves her mother-in-law. She's committed to her. And so, and she said, did you hear the word? She goes, your God will be my God. Um, and just quite a woman. And, and as my wife and I were discussing, you know, she's an outsider, right? Coming into an Israelite town. Uh, what are the chances of her getting married, right? There, probably not very good, right? She's probably just going to be a widow the rest of her life. Um, but God's... Got other plans, right? Because what happened then was the whole thing with Boaz, and, and he comes along and redeems her, called the kinsman redeem, redeemer, and just redeems her life. And, and there's so much to the story, you really just need to read the book of, of Ruth, right? But just an incredible woman of faith, right? Who was outside the family of God, but then kind of grafted in through all these, I mean, really terrible circumstances. I mean, these, um, these ladies that we're talking about here, that are highlighted uh, in this genealogy had a really difficult life. I mean, this is not an understatement, okay? I mean, this is an understatement. They had a very difficult life. Um, and so, so that is Ruth. Now, 
the wife of Uriah. Apparently, I don't have control, Linda. You do. Would you mind getting me on to the, the next thing? I, I think I'm just, for some reason, it's not picking up. The battery's not working. Thank you. Um, the wife of Uriah, which we all said already is, is Bathsheba. And her story really starts there in, in scriptures in 2 Samuel 11. All right, 2 Samuel 11. And most people, even people that are not that familiar with the scriptures, know about David and Bathsheba and how they committed adultery because, um, as it says, right, um, in, in the passage that we read, you know, uh, this is the wife of Uriah, right? Not really David's wife originally, right? And so um, lots of things written about um, this whole thing, you know. Uh, I can't, again, I cannot imagine being a woman there because the king is telling you to come to you. And if you refuse, you might have been killed. So I'm not saying there's no choice there, but it's a tough choice, isn't it? Death or commit adultery. I mean, that's, just, that's reality here, okay? Um, again, we're not excusing adultery, but I'm just, I'm just laying it out there. These are, these are very, very hard situations these women were in, right? So, so what happens is, um, of course, King David's act of adultery with Bathsheba ended with the death, death of her own husband. He arranged for him to be on the front lines. He withdrew the troops so that Uriah would be in the heat of the battle and killed, and he was. Um, so not only that, but so you've got murder, you've got uh, adultery, but the, you know, then they, the, uh, you know, Bathsheba is pregnant with David's child, and they lose the baby. Right? The baby dies. Um, but after that, God blessed them with a son. So he took, he took Bathsheba as his wife, and they had a son, and his name is Solomon. Right? You may have heard of him. Right? And God used him mightily. And of course, he had his own problems as well, but God used him. Of course, this is all part of the Davidic line. This is all part of, again, the family tree of Jesus is what we're looking at. And we're looking at um, the uniqueness of this particular uh, family tree that's given as compared to Luke. Luke. Luke's gospel doesn't mention any of these women's names, okay? And so, so what are we to think of this? What are we to think of this? Um, Matthew's inclusion of these four uh, women in this genealogy. And a couple of thoughts here. I mean, we, we don't really have like the definitive answer but I, I think this first one uh, that I the first thought I have is 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 a is a good one. Not because I came up with it, but because I think it fits with Scripture. Okay. Um, can you go ahead and advance for me on the next slide? There, the point number one. Um, the point first point here really that we want to look at is that God extends His saving grace to include all the nations, because you have not just. Um, Israelites, you know, the chosen people of God, Israelites mentioned in the lineage there. Now, I've told you, we've got several people that were outsiders that are part of this lineage. And so we, we also know from um, Paul's writings, right, that when he writes to the Ephesians, he tells them, he tells the Ephesians, because uh, they were not, they were not uh, Israelites, right, they were not Jewish. He's like, you, you were not the people of God, you now are the people of God. You were not chosen now you are. It's like you've been grafted in. And so um, 
And really, anybody that's not physically a Jew is certainly in that category, okay? Um, But we know now from the New Testament, it's really not about being physically a Jew, is it? It's really about having a circumcised heart, as it says in the Scriptures, you know, to have a a heart that receives the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, right? That's what makes you a Jew inwardly, if you will, okay? One of God's people. And so so the thing is, is just that um, this... When you look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and, 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of what? All the nations. All the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? He's telling us to make disciples of all the nations. He's not just saying, you know, we're not just sticking with, you know, Israelites here. All the nations uh, will be included in my people. And then when you get to Revelation, right? Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says, um, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see there, you know, this this picture of this panorama of people. It says every language, right? Every people group, every tribe. So, So we see... I think, is one indication of just the fact that these outsiders are mentioned in Jesus' family tree is just to point towards the fact that the Gentiles were going to be grafted in to the family of God. And and I thank God for that because if it wasn't for that, I'm not getting saved because I'm not Jewish. I'm not of that line. you know. And so, so uh, it's just part of the promise, right, is that uh, some of these women were outsiders but included in the family line of Jesus. So God extends his saving grace to include all the nations. And I just can't, can you, I just can't fathom that scene in Revelation chapter 9. Um, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 7. Just that all these, you know, I, I, it's, what's it going to be like? We're going to have like a universal translator? Or is it, is this, is it like one language that will all know that day? I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, you kind of wonder. Uh, obviously, uh, it just says there's people from all those places. We don't know what they're speaking. We don't know when they say these things. We don't know what language it's in. I can't wait. Okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be crazy. Um, it'll be amazing. But God extended his grace, right, to include all nations. So this is, this is, um, this is good news for everyone because it doesn't matter uh, where you come from, what you've done. Okay, if you embrace the gospel of Christ, it's for everyone. It's for everyone who will put their faith in him, everyone who will acknowledge their need for the Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And who will bow their knee to him as Lord and Savior. It's, it's for anyone. And uh, does it matter how much money you've got in your bank account? Does it matter all the things that have happened to you or the things that you've done, right? That's, that's, that's the wonderful gospel, okay? All right, let's go to the second point. Um, so Jesus came to save the kind of people 
who appear in his family tree. <laughs> Jesus came to save the kind of people who appear in his family tree, men and women. Okay? Um, and so Matthew chapter 9, verse 11 to 13 says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? They're seeing Jesus hang out with you know, these sordid people, these people that were not in their accepted religious group. Right, People that were living sinful lives, yes, but the Pharisees were sinners too, just in different ways. Right? Um, and so they're asking, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And it says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Basically, he's saying, you know, you don't know you're a sinner, but you need to. You, you're not even aware that you're a sinner. You're judging these people over here that Jesus is hanging out with, but you're not recognizing the depth of your own sinfulness. That's what he's saying to those Pharisees. And so, to include men and women in that line, who've all messed up, some of them royally, if we can put a gauge on it, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I, mean I, I pulled off the women's name because it's unique, okay? Not to say that the men were all that great. We know that for a fact, okay? These, all these people on these lists are sinners. All of them are in need of a Savior, right? And so, but Jesus came to save the kind of people that appear in that family tree. The good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, okay? And we're there. We're all the same in that way, right? Every person is born into this world uh, with a sin problem. There's no question about it. Okay, the third thing I want to mention, last thing, is when you look at these um, four women in this that are mentioned, this genealogy, I can't help but think that God can use anyone in any situation for His glory. He can use anyone in any situation for His glory. I mean, think about some of those situations. Think about all those the difficult lives these women had because of what either people had done to them, uh, you know, they were, uh, whether they be by positions of people in power over them or whatever, but God was using them, right, for His purposes, for His glory. And when I think of that God can use any situation, I'm always reminded of the story of Joseph in Genesis. And when Joseph, who had been so mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery, and all kinds of other things that happened to him. People mistreated him all along the way. Um, and he um, finally has, a, uh, in a sense, a reunion with his brothers who, who, who discover who he actually is. And he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, meaning he's talking to his brothers who did all these terrible things to him. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Of course, God used him in the position to help um, people not die of famine there in Egypt. Right? Uh, he was the one who, um, that uh, the king basically there had put in charge of you know, saving up 
for the famine that was to come, right? And so God used him in that way. But yet God was using these terrible things that had happened to him to put him in that place. I mean, we don't always think that way. I don't always think that way. I'm always thinking about what's happening now, what's happening to me now, you know, and how bad it might be or whatever. But if somehow by the grace of God we could say, okay, I may not, I, I may not get this, and I may not get it until I die, understand it, but I believe that God uses all of this difficult stuff and even sins against me for his purposes. Do you believe that? Because that's, that's what the Bible teaches, right? Um, he's, he's saying, even just through the story of Joseph, right? God, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's just how God works. He could take things that are terrible and use them for his glory. And like he did in these women's situations, right? He used them uh, in the line of Jesus, right? And he used them in situations for his glory. So don't think that because of your past and what's happened to you or mistakes you've made that God can't use you. Some people think like that. They think that, you know, you don't, you know, I've had a lot of people uh, in my office before saying, oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I'm like, you know, I've heard it pretty much all and or maybe I've done it. Okay. So you got to realize we're one sinner talking to another here. Right. And, but, but none of that, you know, God can use anyone for his glory, regardless of what we've done. Yes, we need to repent of the things we've done wrong, for sure. God calls us to repentance. But we turn to Christ, we turn to God, we cling to him, and he, he can redeem, as the Scripture says, lost years, <laughs> okay, um, in, in a sense, right? He can do amazing things, right, if we just turn to him, turn away from our sin, turn to him, he can use any situation, right? These women all had a story. Um, they were in difficult circumstances, right? We've said to say at least, but God was weaving his story of redemption within their life circumstances. And we need to see that's how God works, okay? Um, yes, uniquely in the line of Jesus, right? But also they were used in all kinds of ways. And God will use us in his redemption story too, working to redeem others, right? Working to... Uh, uh, help others to come to know the Savior we're talking about here. Now, one of the things I was thinking about was that as God's people, something that we need to be continually doing is just kind of an, a daily act of surrender. Um, because as I think about you know God wanting to use us, right? He can use any situation. He can use any person that is really just surrendered to His will. It just says, God, have Your way. Have your way in my life. That's really what it comes down to. Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, 
so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And I think that's a good word for us, is to, to be used by God. We can't be telling God how he should make us, how he should use us, what he should do in our life. But we need to, by the grace of God, just yield and let him have his way. Let the potter remake, refashion, whatever he wants to do. And again, it doesn't matter your background. Uh, it matters just your submitting your will, our will to God. And um, I want to uh, read for you just a few lines from this song I've been listening to called Hymn of Surrender by Matt Redman. Hymn of Surrender, it says, This will be my hymn of surrender. This will be my prayer to you to move beyond just holy intentions and let my life be spent on you. No compromise. I won't give you just half my life. It's all or nothing. Let it be all. Let it be all for Jesus. Let it be all. Let it be all for Jesus. There's a cross you call me to carry. Deny myself and follow you. And as I run for you in your kingdom, I'll lose my life, but never lose. For less of me is more of you. All for Jesus, Lord and Savior, this is my hymn of surrender. And I think there's a good words, a good attitude. Um, and let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him uh, to use us for his glory. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning again, having heard your word, having heard of these about these four women's lives, just a very brief uh, synopsis of their lives and how they're in the line of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, and how you worked through their very difficult circumstances. You worked through the sins of others that were committed against them, and, um, and you used them in just all kinds of ways. Lord, give us the faith and the trust that we need to, to, to give you that kind of access to our life. Uh, as that hymn of surrender was uh, expressing, Lord, let us not give half our life. Let us give it all to you. And yet, I know this needs to be done daily, even moment by moment. But God, we want to be used by you. Lord, let us not believe the lies that say that such and such has happened to us or we've committed such and such a sin and therefore God can't use us. Let us jettison those, those lies and let us, you know, if we haven't confessed the sin, to do it, to repent of it, but to turn to you and know that all's forgiven. In Christ Jesus, if we know Christ the Savior, all our sins are forgiven, and you have a plan for our lives, and you want to use us. And part of that plan will be weave our story of redemption into the lives of others, of how you brought us to faith, and how you want to use us to also um, come into the stories of other people's lives and share Christ with them. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.